Hey y'all, welcome to another episode of Enigma Zone. Today I am flying solo and I am reviewing the Netflix documentary titled American Murder, The Family Next Door. And this Netflix documentary was released in 2020 and it's about the Chris Watts and Shanann Watts murder case that's pretty infamous. If you have not seen it, go watch it and then come back and listen to it because there will be spoilers. So let's go ahead and jump in. All right, so I'm not that big of a Netflix person, but we moved to T-Mobile and we got a free Netflix account, I suppose. So I started watching it again and uh, there's been a lot of shows that I've been really into like Cobra Kai, like You, like, oh, You is a good like crime one. If you guys are into true crime, watch that one. It's good. I've loved Downton Abbey. I like documentaries such as this one that I'm going to cover. There's some great movies such as Crimson Peak that is like paranormal kind of. Watch it. Maybe I should do a, like a review on that one. Um, and many more. What other shows do I watch on Netflix? American Horror Story. That's another one that Philip, my fiance, has gotten to American Horror Story. We started watching the first season. I've seen most of them for years, but he's never seen it before. So he really likes it. So I'm thinking that maybe we can recap or review um, American Horror Story Murder House, which is the first season once we're done watching it, which I think the first like three seasons are the best. But... They're all about, like, obviously murder, true crime, paranormal, some aliens, angels and demons. It, it's pretty, pretty good. I mean, that show's pretty incredible. It was at that point back then, then. Anyway. So, okay. So, this documentary, I actually was surprised to find out that it was released in 2020. I, for some reason or another, or maybe because I didn't have Netflix last year, um, thought it was released this year, but it wasn't. It was released on September 30th, 2020 by the director, Jenny Popplewell. And it's a documentary, obviously. It focuses on Chris Watts, Shanann Watts. They were a Colorado couple who he killed... Shanann, his wife, in 2018. If things couldn't get even more tragic than that, or even more horrifying than the whole thing, the fact is that he also killed his two children, along with his wife, which, you know, every death is horrifying and tragic, but even but killing your own children, I don't know, that makes it even... 10 times, I don't, I want to say 10 times worse. I don't know. I just, no offense. I'm not saying that her death was any less significant, but it's just, I just, I don't understand people that kill children, let alone their own children. It's just horrifying. But anyway, in the early hours of August 13, 2018, there was a call made by Shanann's friend. Her name is... What's her name? Christina? No, that's not her name. I'll be right back. Her name was not Christina. Her name was Nicole Atkinson. I swear that I I knew her name. It's just kind of, um, I forgot about it. Like, briefly, I just know that she has the same name as the mistress, which we'll get into that, too. So, anyway, on... August 13, Shanann's really good friend. Apparently, if I'm not mistaken, they were also co-workers because Shanann worked in a multi-level marketing firm or company. 
They're called MLMs. And it's called Thrive, which is all about healthy living and all that stuff. And she contacted the police. She was the one who kind of ruined the whole plan that Chris Watts had when it came to disappearing his wife and his kids. But back to that night or early morning hours. So around 1.48 a.m. August 13th, Shanann was dropped off at her home in Colorado. I think it was Fredericksburg, Colorado. If I get some things incorrectly, <laughs> I am apologizing now. Um, And her friend Nicole dropped her off because they were out of town. I think they were in Arizona for, again, a business trip uh, for their MLM job called Thrive. And she was dropped off at home. At this point, Shanann had two children. Their names were Celeste and Bella. And she was currently pregnant. She was pregnant with a little boy whom they had picked out the name Nico. So she was about, I want to say maybe three, between three and five months pregnant. And she was dropped off around 1.48 a.m. that night or that morning. And that's the last time she was really seen. I think the Chris, uh, the Watts family had a, a they have security cameras. They have like that ring app, I think. And that's where we see Shanann arriving and entering her house with her luggage. Never to be seen again. But let me say, this might not be in chronological order and let me clarify that in the future i do want to make an episode solely on not on this documentary which basically will entail kind of the same thing now that i think of it but about chris watts and shanann um this documentary did a really good job in telling the whole story within like an hour span because there's so much to unravel in this complicated murder that I was pretty impressed. They used footage from the police, um, body cameras from the news outlets. Um, they used footage from Shanann herself. I think she had it. She was big on Facebook. I think part of her job with Thrive, she has to be very present online. It kind of reminds me of a an Instagram influencer of sorts. I don't think she had Instagram, but she did have Facebook as far as I uh, remember. And she used to go live, do live videos a lot, and just talking to people about Thrive and her life. She was kind of like a vlogger in a way, but I think she used Facebook and she incorporated a lot of, a lot of her content was about her MLM job, which was Thrive. So, they even used her v videos, like her Facebook videos of that are recorded by herself, you know, and involve her family and whatnot. So it was very strange uh, because I don't think I can't remember, but I don't think we've had a case like this where the murder victim has such an online presence. I'm sure we have, but that I can recall personally, such an online presence. So it's kind of eerie and yeah, super eerie to see it because it's like her talking like, hey guys, I got this new product and this and that and these are my kids and they're in, it's like a vlogger, like a YouTuber and you see Chris and he seems like he's such a normal couple, but don't we all look normal? <laughs> well, not all, not all of us are killers, so let me not say that, but 
you know, they portrayed the perfect family kind of thing. They had this beautiful house, which was, I think, even it was like half a million or maybe even a quarter of a million dollars. It was beautiful. He worked in Anadarko. I think that's what it's called. It was an oil company or something like that. And she worked from home in for her MLM. Um, and they had two little girls. So... They had a pretty decent life, and through the outside anyway, the way it was portrayed, you know, beautiful couple. However, there was a lot of things that came to light, such as money issues, such as affairs, such as issues with and fights with the in-laws and all that stuff, which I think all of that ultimately culminated and gave way to this murder, which I don't think you should murder your spouse, but unfortunately that did occur. So back to the the like the setup of the Netflix series. It starts off by kind of telling you a bit of background on how they met, who they were. Again, I love that they incorporated um, body camera footage. Um, it was they did not have like a narrator. You know, sometimes documentaries have um, like sit down interviews, and I don't think this one did full on, which I kind of appreciated. It kind of allowed it to. It kind of allowed the story and the evidence to unfold and um, be showcased by itself. So back to the YouTube, or not YouTube, the Facebook videos, you see all of that. Um, I think even now, guys, I think if you go on Facebook and you look up Shannon Watts, and her name is spelled S-H-A-N-N-A-N, not like Shannon with an O, but Shannon with an A instead of an O, you can find her facebook page and i think you can even still find videos like where she would go live on facebook um and all of her it's her personal profile which is that's something that i've always thought it was kind of strange i you know when somebody passes away and they had an online um account such as instagram facebook youtube it usually stays unless like the family i am assuming seeks to take them down or even has the ability to do so who even knows that they can, but it's kind of, it's pretty eerie. All right, so back to the events. So I like that about the documentary. So anyway, that was the last time they saw Shannon was on August 13th. Um, the thing is the next morning, like I mentioned, she was pregnant and not to forget, she suffered from lupus, which is an autoimmune disease. And so she had a delicate health in that sense. So the next morning around 9 a.m., she had a doctor's appointment. I think it was with, I want to say it was with the like OBGYN. I could be mistaken. And she never showed up. Chris was at work. And here in comes the friend again. I was thinking like, holy crap, this friend, Nicole Atkinson, came in clutch. <laughs> That's my new word, apparently. I'm copying the young kids. Came in, <laughs> this is 2018, came in clutch in every situation because, wow, what, one cannot ask for a better friend, honestly, because she calls Shanann the next morning, wants to check in on her. Um, I guess Shanann had been feeling kind of ill. Once again, she was pregnant and she had lupus, so I'm assuming it kind of all was either taking a toll on her well-being or just made her pregnancy overall maybe a little bit more complicated maybe she felt more exhausted and she calls her she never answers again they do work together so maybe she was calling her also to 
talk about their work, but she was on it. She called and she called. She never answered. She showed up at her house with, I think it was her son, and you can see this in video footage on YouTube. She shows up at uh, Shanann and Chris's house the next morning, and she's knocking. She's calling Shanann. She doesn't answer. She looks through the windows. There is, like, everything is dark. There's no sign of life. Mind you that Shanann has two little girls, and there's no, they're nowhere to be seen. Um, so she gets very worried. I think she calls Chris or texts Chris, and he basically says that she's either at home or she probably went out to, you know, with a friend on a play date with her, their kids or something of that nature. And I guess Nicole doesn't fully buy it. So she calls the police and she contacts the police. She calls Shanann's mom and she has her on the phone and basically tells the police, like, can you come and check here? Because my friend Shanann, I dropped her off last morning, last night around 1.48 a.m. Um, she, you know, she doesn't answer. She has lupus and she's pregnant and she had an appointment. She didn't show up. So I'm worried. And the police showed up and all hell breaks loose because Chris Watts is at work, so they call him. They cannot go into the house. They don't have permission unless the owner, Chris Watts or Shanann Watts, gives them permission to go in. And this is something that I think it was a red flag. I may be incorrect, but that's how I kind of understood that they could not go into the house unless they had permission. Mind you, they had Chris Watts on the phone, Nicole Atkinson, while the police was there. Her friend had her on the phone, had him on the phone, and he made his way back home. He was like, I'll be there in a minute to meet the police and to meet you and check the house. Why didn't he um, give them permission to go in while he was at work? The thing is that he worked about 45 minutes away from that house, from where they lived. So really, if my husband or my wife is missing and I work 45 minutes away, you bet your ass that I'm going to run home like he did. But you better believe that I'm going to tell the police, I don't know, knock down the door. I give you permission to knock down the door, break down the window. I And I think that house had this type of security system where you can uh, you could unlock either the garage or the house with a code. I would have given them the code as well. But now that I can, now that I think about it, I think at one point or another, right before he arrived, I want to say whether they actually opened the garage. I could be wrong. I think I'm, no, I think I'm just imagining it. I don't think he let them in. I don't know why the police didn't think that was suspicious. Like, yo, you're on your way, you're 45 minutes away, you don't give me the permission to, like, give me the code to open the garage or give me permission to break down the door or window. That was a big red flag from the get-go, and poor Shanann's mom she was on the phone with her friend Nicole and she was telling her like I give you permission to knock down my daughter's door like go into that house and they they couldn't because he had to be there and give permission or that's the one thing that I'm confused about like I would think they could he could give his consent on the phone but obviously he killed her so he wasn't gonna do that but I mean Jesus, what a good friend she is because, and let me say, Shanann seemed to have really good friends from what we can learn from in the documentary because they also show text messages from another friend whose name I can't remember and Shanann for weeks, for weeks and months, um, you know, talking about 
Shanann shares her issues with Chris. Apparently, they were going through a rocky time as well as her other friends. And they all seem to be very caring. Hell, my friends are not like that. <laughs> I think I need new friends. <laughs> Just kidding. Love you. But, um, like, yeah, I was thinking, like, if that were me, I would have... They wouldn't have not known I was gone for, like, a month or two. Yeah, I don't know. I guess you, we need to all check in on our friends, even though... We may not be super close or think that they're okay. They don't, you know, you never know. But she was a angel in that sense. Alright, so the documentary goes on chronologically. It starts off that way anyway. So as soon as Chris arrives, you know, he's wearing his, uh, he works in like, I want to say it's like an oil refinery, but I may be wrong. Like construction, kind of that type of vibe. So he gets to the home, he drives a gray pickup truck, and he kind of gets off kind of fast, kind of flustered, and uh, quickly greets the officer, shakes his hand, and um, greets Nicole, and immediately opens the garage door. And I think he kind of looks around, and then there is, the thing is, Shanann's car is in the garage. I think it's a white Lexus, like an SUV, or crossover, and he looks into the vehicle, and I think... At one point, I don't think if this was shown in the documentary, but I saw it in a YouTube video. He opens the car and takes something out or, or something of that nature and goes into the house. The house is really clean. They emphasize this on the documentary. The He finally goes and opens the front door and gives consent to the police officers and to Nicole, the friend, to go inside the house and look for Shanann. Of course, he's pretending to look for her as well. The house is... It's pretty big. It's two stories and it's impeccably clean and everything is dark. They cannot find Shanann, obviously. They go upstairs. Um, they keep trying to call her and text her, like, where are you? What are you doing? Um, etc. There's no sign of the children. However, Chris immediately tells the police officer that the kids' blankets are gone and they always take those everywhere with them. And this is all captured in the body camera security the security the police officer's body camera and they find shenan's phone in between the couches it's off so they turn it on and everything's suspicious like where did she go her purse is there her car is there um her phone is there um the only thing that's missing is shenan and the two girls celeste and uh, bella and something that's also peculiar is that they briefly kind of go over or pass by Shanann and Chris's bedroom and the the bed is unmade. Like there is no, uh, what's it called? Bed covers, like if you would be washing them. So that's something that was kind of strange if you've seen it for the first time. Like, okay. So like, you know, I don't know. You know what? Before, I don't think it's in the documentary as well, but I think I saw it in a YouTube video while they're waiting for Chris to arrive. And right after they he arrives and they're in the garage, this, the police officer that's, you know, responding to this call checks the trash can. And there are baby dolls in there, like, uh, which is pretty odd. I mean, they look to be, it's very brief, they look to be in good condition, so I'm just curious as to why they were thrown out. But I feel like even, it seems like even the police officer had a suspicion, like, are they in here? You know what I mean? So, 
basically chris tells a story that he went off to work in the wee hours he leaves really early maybe around five or six uh, in the morning and that when he left shenan and the girls were there they were i'm assuming asleep and he went to work um he thinks that they might have gone to a play date with shenan's friend he doesn't know who and he's pretty nervous and twitchy and strange and they cannot find shenan So the police officer goes around the property. He makes sure there's no sign of a break-in and there isn't. He goes to the back and tries to go in through the back door. I think um, once Chris is there, when they're looking inside and outside the house, and he briefly sees a neighbor next door in the back on the back side of the house, and he's like, "Hey, oh, I'm, we're looking for your neighbor. You know, we're conducting a welfare check. Have you seen him or seen her and the kids?" I don't think she was feeling well. And then the neighbor's like, no, I haven't seen her, but I have a security camera that captures all of that. I'll, I'll check it. <laughs> I tell you, neighbors are either a godsend or the they're going to be your undoing. And this is what happened with Chris. I mean, I was laughing so hard because obviously it's such a tragic thing, but I was reading on Twitter and somebody about the documentary and somebody... <laughs> tweeted like that neighbor clogged chris from the start like right away and he did he to chris's untimely surprise the neighbor has security cameras that point to his the neighbor's garage like the outside of it but they also capture the corner of chris's um chris's garage like there's trees that block the view for the most part but definitely there is a space in between where you can see who goes in and out of the house so that then and there it should have been over for chris but it was crazy because then they go over to the neighbor's house and this is all captured in the body cam and i cannot say how fortunate it is and how great of an idea that was to the creation and adaptation of body cameras for police officers. I know that a lot of them, a lot of departments still don't have them. I know that there's been issues where they don't want to turn them on. I think they should be on. I think they're turned on as soon as they have a, like a, get a stop, like stop people or go to a call. They turn them on. I think that's a genius idea because it definitely provides a level of transparency between the public and the police officer and it works both ways for the safety of both police officers and the public so this is all captured and the quality is pretty good i mean geez so anyway they go to the neighbor's house and it's this man and they're reviewing the security camera from the night before and they see when she arrives when she's dropped off she gets in the house and then the other movement the only other movement they saw on the security camera was chris leaving in the wee hours of the morning to work he we see that he pulls in his truck into the garage on re like reversed so you know tail first or what's it called the trunk first i guess and he says that he does that he briefly explains in that moment with the neighbor present and the police officer present that he does that he puts the stuff in the garage not in his truck sorry and then he goes off to work and he and that's the only movement there is. There's no other capture, none, zero, of Shannon ever leaving the house on foot, in a car, of anyone else arriving. 
at all. So that that was everything. That was everything. That was that. That was it. So then the police is like, okay, well, I'll, let me just get the, your neighbor's inf- this neighbor. We're in his house, his information, and you can go over there. And Chris leaves, like, the neighbor's house. And as soon as the door hasn't even shut fully and the neighbor's like, he's acting weird. That's not true. He never puts his truck in reverse into the garage. He always loads his tools from work into the truck on the street. Like, he never does that. He's acting fishy. He's all twitchy and shaky and rocking back and forth. That's not normal. I think he had something to do with it. Like, right away. That's pretty... I, he should start a private detective kind of business. I mean, that guy really knows his stuff. I tell you, neighbors, either love him or you hate him. But that was that. You know what was very bizarre that I found online? And it's not in this documentary, but... While they're viewing the camera footage with the neighbor and Chris, there is a brief commercial. And this, you can see it if you look up the body camera footage on YouTube. It's really long. It's like unedited, but it's pretty, I mean, it's really good um, quality and very informative when it comes to this case, the disappearance and the initial investigation. So there's this commercial that comes up on the neighbor's TV and it's like a commercial or a picture or a brief snapshot of a fetus in a womb and people were like that is so bizarre like because at that moment in time he hadn't told the police officer that she was pregnant I think but even then people were like well what is it what if this is a paranormal sign from Shannon that kind of what a coincidence I'm getting chills that as they're viewing or trying to view the security camera footage of the night before of Chris leaving uh, to see if Shanann left anywhere, there is this commercial of a fetus. It's almost like a sign that maybe Shanann herself might have sent to the police right there or the show the guy showing that she was pregnant. And it was just a unique thing, you know? When you think of, like, signs of the divine or otherwise or paranormal like what if what a coincidence it makes it too much of a thing to be a coincidence right but you know talking about paranormal and weird stuff because this is an enigmatic podcast (laughs) in interviews not shown in this documentary there shanann's parents and brother have given interviews sit down interviews and in one that I saw, I'm sure you can find it online somewhere, Shanann's mom says that she knew her daughter was dead at that moment where when she was killed. That she knew, like she felt it. She woke up in the middle of the night. Oh, I'm getting chills. She woke up in the middle of the night. I am assuming Shanann was murdered in the wee hours, probably. Um, I need to look up the time exactly, but... The mom says, I knew my daughter had left this earth the moment that she died. I just knew it. I felt it. It's like her spirit came to me. And I even heard. Oh, I have so many goosebumps. She says something along the lines of like, I know. I just knew it. She's like, I woke up in the middle of the night. And I even think she said like she heard a voice that told her, I'm sorry, mom, or I'm going to be okay, or something like that. And she knew that was Shanann, that she woke up in a panic and woke up her husband, Shanann's father, and told him, like, we need to call Shanann. Something happened to her. 
there's something wrong. Something feels really wrong. And of and yes, the morning after, then Nicole can't find her. And that is the day, the night she died. That is insanity to me. I mean, if there, I feel like if there is no other proof of the paranormal, that's all, in a way, that's all you need. And you know what is so, you could say it's a mother's in, intuition. I've heard different cases where people especially moms know when something happens to their kids and they're no longer walking this earth that they feel it that they know Ugh. maybe it is the the child's spirit that comes to them and tells them it, it maybe it's mother's love maybe it's their spirit guides that tell her their guardian angel i don't know but you know who else said the same thing was my Therese's mom. My Therese, um, I have an episode on her. I can't recall her last name. Of course I can't right now. My Tre- my Therese Robertson? My Therese Richardson, I think. Well, her mother, she went missing. Check it out. She went missing in, after going to dine in Malibu and they, she was arrested. Then she was found, her body was found months later. Well, her mother, she gave interviews as well. They couldn't find my trees. They didn't find my trees for like eight months or so. And before they found her body, her mother basically kind of insinuated the same thing. I may be incorrect. I may be, it may be before they found her or right after they found her body. But the mother nevertheless shared that with two news outlets saying that she knew her daughter was dead and that she had never left that area. She knew it. She just knew it in her heart. Something in her told her. She felt it that her daughter was no longer on this earth. That is... I don't know. Terrifyingly beautiful. Like, I don't know. I wonder if a lot of... Especially parents whose children, whether they're young children or adults die or go missing whether they have inklings or that kind of um gut feeling about it or is it is it certain people maybe that maybe they're more spiritually connected or more spiritually opened i don't know but it's fascinating it's a really really fascinating topic and i i believe in all that okay so back to the documentary so they don't find anything the only evidence they found was the security camera from the neighbors which the he basically solved the case but they don't arrest chris that day i think they go back the next day and they go ahead and want to conduct a search inside the house with canine like a canine unit and chris agrees and i was thinking that uh, those are some balls of steel and i'm not trying to commend him but and i'm not the thing is like you murdered your daughters and well not your daughters they were murdered outside but you're wife in the house and you weren't concerned at all with letting people in to go inspect especially like the canine units and i was thinking i am pretty convinced that this was planned there's no way that he did not plan this um some people argue those people that are in love with like serial killers they say that she drove him to it that she was an asshole and whatnot and who even knows but nobody deserves their life taken away like that nevertheless to take the take away the life of your child that is deranged to another level but i was thinking he planned that i think he's he strangled shenan 
per the reports, per the documentary, he basically admits he, that he strangled her um, and that that's how she died in their bed. Like she, that they had a conversation. They had a basically Chris was having an affair with another girl from his job. Her name was also Nicole and I cannot remember her last name, of course. And they were having an affair and basically Chris told her that she didn't want to be married to her anymore and that he basically wanted out of the marriage and he just killed her. But anyway, back to my kind of quick point. I think he planned it because when if he would have killed her and there would have been blood and things of that nature... I don't think he would have been as confident in letting the police in, letting the canine units in his house to inspect everything. Because they would have pulled the black light and all that stuff real quick. And so part of me thinks, he, I think he did plan it. Or do you think it was a crime of passion? What do you think? Oh, now I'm thinking. I'm, I'm really curious. I always thought he planned it, but now, okay, let's see, let me go into a deep hole again. Supposedly, he had been having an affair with Nicole for quite some time. He had a, this app in, on his phone that was like a calculator, but it wasn't because it was a secret file folder where he hid photos of Nicole and him. Um, he basically kind of told Nicole that he was leaving his wife. He was in the middle of a separation and she was in on it, basically, in that sense, that she wanted to build a life with him, as far as we know. So, could he have snapped? It's obvious, like, there was a lot of issues with Shanann and disdain and whatnot between the two and he was done he wanted to go he wanted out he wanted to go build his life with nicole but i wonder if he you know here i am thinking oh he he planned it because he didn't kill her he strangled her that leaves the least evidence but then i'm thinking he said he told the police that they had an emotional conversation that morning before he went to work the night he killed her when he basically told her that it wouldn't work out, that he didn't, he wanted out. I feel like Shanann would, was probably like, gave him resistance in the sense that he, she didn't maybe not want the marriage to end or anything like that. And he probably snapped and like strangled her. That also explains why he buried her and his daughters where he worked. That is like, that's the stupidest thing though. Like, if you pre-planned this murder, I'm not defending him whatsoever. He should, they should bring back the electric chair. Death by firing squad. Um, he should be on it. Like, he should go. So, I'm not defending him. I'm just trying to play, like, I want to see, I want to, like, talk about the different possibilities. Like, the different, look at every aspect, I guess. Yeah, like, he buried... Okay, so he killed Shanann. He transported her raptor in, I think it was, like, a blanket or um, th that bed thing. I only know the Spanish word for it. I can't think of the English word. The sabana. What is it called? <clears throat> like, the comforter. I don't know. Bed sheet. Fitted sheet. I don't know. So, and he took her to 
where he was working, there was these two huge oil tanks, and he took his daughters. His daughters were apparently alive, and they were kind of half asleep, and he basically, afterwards, after he admitted everything, he basically said that he strangled his oldest, his youngest daughter first, Celeste, and then he strangled his oldest daughter, Bella, and then he put them in the tank. This tank had one opening, I think. It was at least, like, tiny squared opening in the very top and it was very they're very tall so imagine all like maybe more than 10 feet deep and oil and he shoved them in there <clears throat> but why would he bury them there that's like they would obviously how did he not think that they would obviously that would be one of the first locations to look where he worked So that makes me kind of think maybe it was not premeditated fully. Maybe it was a crime of passion. He freaked out. He's like, oh shit, I just killed her. What am I going to do with the body? Think, think. Oh, let me just... That was the first thing he thought of. Like, let me go bury her there. He didn't really think thoroughly that they would probably... That would be one of the first places they would look. But then again, he drove 45 minutes from his house to his work with the body and with the two little girls in the back seat. In those 45 minutes, <clears throat> sorry, my throat is dry whenever I talk too much. He didn't, I wonder whether he was convinced that he was going to kill the little girls. If he was, or if he wasn't, either way, in those 45 minutes, he didn't change his mind. That's crazy. And you know what? They didn't talk about this in the documentary. But in other places, I wish I kind of wish they would have added that, actually. They conducted an autopsy um, of the little girl's body, both of them. And I think they concluded, or they, I don't know if this is a, maybe I'm confusing it. Maybe it was a theory, or maybe it was indeed concrete, that it alluded, or they basically stated that Chris tried to strangle them before even killing Shanann while they were at home. That he tried to strangle both of them with a pillow and that one of them fought back and even bit her tongue so hard and made a cut like that after he couldn't kill them, he then went to kill Shanann and just took them alive in the truck and killed them while he was at the site of the burial, his job basically. Maybe I imagined that. I'm pretty sure I heard about that, but I'm not sure whether that was indeed what happened or theory. But, so yes, sorry for that long tangent. So I'm I'm kind of now thinking whether it was a crime of passion. Like it was out of spontaneous. Because, only because there was no blood. He didn't think to like stab her or something like that. You know what I mean? He strangled her, which in that sense didn't leave a lot of evidence. Um, gave him enough confidence to let the police look into his house. But then again, he buried them where he worked like i feel like if it was premeditated he would have thought of a more clever place to bury them i don't know i think i have an email let me see I, i'm curious to know what you think this is like i'm rambling and rambling let's see my email is enigmazonepod at gmail.com you can email me with your thoughts don't send me a virus please enigmazonepod so anyway the documentary 
shows that he's giving interviews the next day. Back to the documentary. Giving (laughs) tongue-tied interviews the next day. Okay, so an important part of the this case that I didn't know before watching this documentary was the all of the messages, the text messages that were included of Shanann to her friends and vice versa and to Chris like the even like 5 months even months before the murder. So Right before the murder, Shanann was in Arizona on a business trip, right? So before then, he she had been in North Carolina. They're originally, I think, from North Carolina. She was there for like six weeks with her children and visiting her parents. She had conflict with Chris's parents. Apparently, they did not get along. Chris told the police that um, her parents, her parents, his parents and his sister did not like Shanann. They thought that she was not good enough for him. They thought that she took him away from them because they relocated to Colorado. And there was other issues because Chris's mom accidentally, or well, I don't know. The documentary basically says Chris's mom gave one of the little girls um, peanut ice cream or something like that. Peanut butter ice cream or something about peanut butter because she's allergic. And she had a bad reaction. And Shanann was very upset about this. Shanann didn't want to, you know, gave Chris a piece of her mind. Mind you, while Shanann was, this happened while the kids and Shanann were in North Carolina for like six weeks. While this was, while they were there, Chris was in Colorado by himself, I guess, working. I don't know. That's really strange. I don't think I would be away from my husband that long. Or my wife. Maybe it's different. I mean, obviously, if you you work like that, but I just think it's a bit strange. And I'm not saying I'm not blaming either or. You know, I'm not blaming Shanann, but it's just strange. Like, is that normal? I'm not married yet, <laughs> not yet engaged, but I don't know. Is that normal? That's a long time. You know, I don't know. So during this time, Chris was having the time of his life in Colorado, going out with uh, not Shanann with his mistress Nicole. Um, and li- taking her to dinner, taking her to, I think at one point they were in their house, in his house, but I'm not sure. I think I heard about that too, but then again, they had security cameras that alerted Shanann that she could check on her phone, like the Ring one or the Google Nest. So take that with a grain of salt. She- he was having the time of his life. And Shanann was suspicious. Before the murder, Shanann kind of knew that he might be stepping out on her because she would find, she would check their uh, bank statements and there would be like uh, a restaurant, for example, Texas Roadhouse, because I like Texas Roadhouse. And he would say, oh, I went out to eat with some buddies and the bill was for like $60, you know? And Shanann would be, would tell Chris, like, well, what did you eat? And they show this in the documentary, like, through text messages, through the, I guess, the original ones. And they show it on the screen. What did you eat at the restaurant? And he would say, I don't know, random. I ate a steak and a salad and a beer. And Shanann would actually go to the restaurant website and menu and check the prices and add it all. Like, well, that would be like $30. So where's the other 30? So he, she was suspicious. And, when he would go out, she would note and she would look at him through the security camera and see that he would come home like a late, way past dinner. So she would think like, well, where was he? Really? Dinner restaurants aren't open at this time or, you know, things don't match up. 
So she knew, like, I think deep in her heart, she knew that um, she didn't want to admit it. Again, they had a lot of animosity, a lot of trouble because of the parent situation that they didn't get along. Not to mention, one of the most important things, too, is that they had filed for bankruptcy. Um, they were severely in debt. And even though they, you know, they appeared to be the perfect normal family who had everything well put together they had a lot of payments a lot of credit card debt and i think they had uh declared bankruptcy before or they were going to and to top it off the other woman so another thing was that they showed in the documentary that shenan complained about the lack of intimacy between her and chris that chris didn't really wasn't very affectionate with her even before her stay in North Carolina for like six weeks. He didn't really want to like, you know, marital stuff, I guess. And she would talk to her girlfriends, text to them about that. And they would reply like, oh, don't worry. I think you're just, you know, you're, you're maybe you're overreacting or not overreacting, but you know, maybe, yeah, like not in a bad way, like you're crazy, but you know what I mean? Maybe there's nothing to it. There's probably nothing to it. And you're just maybe dealing going through the motions because of all the things all the stress and all that but that was like (laughs) so i liked that about the documentary i really really liked that they put those uh, text messages i had never heard of them i had never seen them so that was nice a nice touch so apparently back to the this is going all over the place it's not chronological chronological so then they eventually bring in Chris into questioning because they basically know he did it. They have him take a lie detector test and he does. He says he's really nervous and very anxious and he fails it. Um, he basically says, I need to talk to my dad, you know, and the dad comes in. You know what? That that dad, that's a bad grandpa, man. He talks to the dad and it's obviously it's in the police station. It's being recorded and he basically tells the dad, it's because Shannon, you know, she she strangled them. Like kind of in a low voice. And and the dad's like, what? She, stra- she, stra- she tried to strangle the kids? She strangled them? And he's like, yeah. So, so he basically tells the dad, so I had to strangle her because she killed the kids. And the dad's like, when she... Like, when he, when Chris tells his father, oh, she killed the kids, it's a lie, right? But there's no reaction from the grandpa. It's like, well, like, I don't know. You know, they say that grandparents love their grandkids more than they love their children. Even th- even if that's not true, even if it's equally. He was, like, n- so nonchalant about the fact that his grandkids were dead. Like, that's pretty crazy. Like, I feel like... You would be, there was no reaction. It was like, oh, maybe he was in shock. Who knows? But anyway, he admits to it. But he admits to the police that Shanann killed the kids because she was jealous or she didn't want to get divorced. She threatened Chris that she would ne- he would never see the kids again, something of that nature. And she strangled them and he in turn strangled her and got rid of her body. But the police are like, oh, okay. They don't really fully unbelieve it. But eventually... They bring in the mistress. They find her. They find the mistress. And to this day, I'm so shocked how she got away with all the things she did. Because she's such a shady character. Not only because she's a mistress. But the fact that 
it is revealed and not in this documentary, which I wish they would have included it in included it. But you know what? I think they didn't because they were afraid of getting sued or something by Nicole. I think her name was Kirschinger, the mistress. Because this chick, who does she know? Like, who is she related to that she got away with all of it? Apparently, she even got an identity changed. Like, that's not allegedly. No one has heard of her since. Like, apparently, I heard, who knows if this is true, that she went under, like, protective um, services or something. And that she got an identity change. And she, there was no charges brought to her. And you may think, like, well, I mean, she's innocent. But I don't know if she's fully on innocent because apparently she knew that about Shannon. She knew that he had kids. She had been Googling and kind of stalking, allegedly stalking Shannon and her Facebook page for months while they had an affair. And she was even looking up wedding dresses and all that stuff. And this you don't find in this documentary, which again, I wish they would have included it. You find it elsewhere, like on YouTube. So my question, my my curiosity now is like, why didn't they address this? That's kind of stalkerish behavior. But anyway, she basically says that she did not know any of it. She'll do anything to help the police. I think I need water. That she'll do anything to help the police. And they never, I feel like they don't, I don't know. I'm not saying she killed her. I'm not saying she was in on it like, yeah, you're going to kill your wife and this and that. But I don't think she's as innocent as she came off. But Chris, basically, he's such a dweeb that he tells the police, like, I'll take all the fault for it. Nicole, the mistress, was not involved. She didn't have anything to do with it. She he kind of shares how they met and they show this on the documentary. And they charge him with, like, murder for all of them. You know what else they didn't show in, in the documentary? I think I was listening to another podcast. I'm not, I can't even remember the name. But they basically stated and shared that Shanann, at the moment that he was strangling her, that she had, a, like, a, I don't want to say, is it an abortion? No. She lost the baby. Like, the ba she gave birth. That's the word they used. She gave birth to the baby that she was carrying. That when they found her body, TMI, they obviously inspected it. And in her undergarments, like we're in the 1950s, and in her undergarments, the baby was there, like, out of her body. So that means that she probably, I don't know. At the moment that he killed her, it caused her body to expel the baby. They're going to some sort of labor. I'm not very, I'm not, I, I don't know a lot about that. So if I get something is incorrect, sorry. And the thing is, I think Colorado does not have a law where it punishes, it protects the baby, like unborn fetuses. Where, where in this case, where Chris Watts killed Shanann, but he also killed the baby that has not been born that protects him. So he was only charged to, he was only charged with killing Shanann, Celeste, and Bella. Not the baby Nico, because in the state, apparently there's no laws protecting against unborn, unborn babies, which I think there should be. So those are some things that I, 
I wish the documentary would include it, but would have included, but I don't know, maybe Shanann's family kind of didn't want to gory details or who knows, so who can blame them? But in order to avoid, I think, trial and basically the death penalty, he agrees to plead guilty and he is basically convicted of life in prison, I think without parole, and that's where he ends up. And they show part of the court or the trial or the charges where it's when it's read. And Shanann's family is there and it's so devastating because they're they're just distraught. Her poor father, I mean, you see him and he's just in tears. And everyone's crying. And basically, I think Chris does speak at one point or he doesn't. Hmm. But Shanann's parents speak. They basically, you know say what they had to say and the most probably surprising thing was that chris's mom spoke and she basically said that she she reiterated that she loved her son and that they forgive him for what he did and it's like really i don't know couldn't you just tell him that in prison while you go visit him through the little screen you could you have to tell i don't know it just kind of i don't know I feel like when people do that, or in this case, it seemed like they absolved him of any responsibility or accountability. And more than that, I, Shannon's family was there. Not only that, whether they hated their daughter-in-law or not, who, I don't, not that they wished her dead or anything, but he killed his grandkids, like their grandkids, his kids. Like, it just seems so disrespectful because Shanann's family was there and for her to say, oh, we forgive you, we love you, I don't know, basically insinuating it's not your fault. That's what she basically insinuated. Like, that's just a, even more of a slap in the face of, towards Shanann, towards her children. So you couldn't have saved this for another time. You don't even have to speak. And I don't think once, I, I don't even, if I can recall correctly, I don't even think they addressed Shanann's family or Shanann once during when they read the conviction water break so that was pretty disturbing so like i said the mistress nicole is nowhere to be found people say theory has it rumor has it that she changed got her identity changed and somebody i read somewhere somebody say that she was related to somebody in the law enforcement in Colorado. It could be wrong. That her dad. Maybe. Allegedly. But I can't remember. So that chick. It's crazy. Um. Yeah. So. He is still in prison. He's gonna die there. Um. Apparently he's like a. All into religion now. Again. I don't know. That's a whole nother thing. All the convicts. I think that's the only thing they're allowed to read is the Bible. They all say they found God. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. I don't know. Maybe I'm just a judgmental, imperfect person, but I don't think I'd be able to forgive somebody like that in this world anyway. So we can take that up with our creator. Um, and some women send Chris, like, love letters, I think. Like, they're, like, in love with him. There's been a lot of there's been some pages on i think either facebook or youtube where people kind of claim that shanann was a fault that she she had it coming in a way that she pushed him to the edge 
I don't know. It, this is just terrible. All around. Alright, so... Yes, like I was mentioning... Chris... Chris's parents talking and it was just it left a bad taste. Oh, back to what I was talking about. Sorry, I, I had a... I spaced out for a little bit. I'm an Aquarius, that happens. So a lot of women or people kind of blame Shanann. They say online that it was her fault that she pushed him to the edge. She was basically very... They kind of describe her as being emasculating uh, towards Chris. Demanding, just nagging. You know, us women, we just nag. We nag. We love to nag. But we don't deserve to get killed, you know? So I think it's just unfounded. I think it's very disrespectful. I find it's so it's just sexist really how they always in misogynistic how it's always like the female victims that sometimes or a lot of the time some people not at all in their weird distorted mind try to justify the reason they were killed or the reason they've suffered and kind of it's their fault it's Shanann's fault because she was pushy she was a bitch she was like mean to his parents she was this she was that or or somebody who has was maybe sexually assaulted or it's, it was her fault because she dressed that way or because she put herself in that situation i don't know it's and it's something that's kind of deeply ingrained in a lot of people in the society and it's disturbing you don't see that very often when it comes to men where men are like, well, he deserved it. You know what I mean? I don't know. So it's it's horrible. I don't think it was her fault at all. I'm so I'm so shocked that he even more than anything, again, like I mentioned in the beginning, like Shanann's death was horrifying and disturbing, and she did not deserve that whatsoever. But I, even when it comes to the children, it's even I don't want to say it's worse, but it's like I don't like as a mother not to like tr justify it but like if it came between me and my children i mean obviously i would fight but i would give up i would rather no, no I, how can i put it i would rather lose my life than my children lose theirs so not that i just can't imagine like why did he have to do that to the kids like i'm sure that shanann's family would have been not more than happy given the situation but m more than willing to care for those two little girls and raise them if chris really did want to you know whether and this isn't a scenario like whether where shanann's death was inevitable like i mean I hope it would have been better obviously if he wouldn't have killed any of them but i mean to kill your own kids i just there's so many people like that. It's it's horrible. I can't even find the words. So <laughs> that guy's fucking monster. I tell you that much. All right. So in an interview with his doctor Phil, Chris's lawyer basically stated that Chris confessed to killing Shanann due to an argument about the divorce. Basically, I guess he told her that morning, like we're done, and she probably was not agreeing to that and he basically stated that their daughter bella she was the older one walked in on the couple and chris basically told the little girl oh your mommy is sick don't worry about it go back to your bed and then he later put her in the truck and took the girls 
to the burial place. Apparently, he smothered them with a blanket. That's just horrible. And he said that the oldest one basically told her, like, don't do it. Don't kill me, dad, or something like that. And apparently, uh, there are accounts that say that he has claimed that during his time in prison, that's all he hears or sees is that his those words his daughter spoke, like, don't kill me. I, it's horrible. Horrible. But anyway, would I recommend this documentary? Yes, I think it was very well made. I liked that they included um, different aspects. I love that they included the body camera from the police officer. I liked that they included um, footage from the court or the trial. I like that they included interviews, and more than anything, they also included text messages from Chris to Shanann, Shanann to Chris, Shanann to your friends, depicting the issues they had in their marriage, the doubts, the suspicion, everything, because it kind of gave us a better insight of what their relationship was, not even relationship, but what some of the trouble that I think ultimately contributed to him trying annihilating his family. But it's so weird because as far as I know, Chris never had a and like an arrest record. He didn't have a bad reputation or that like that he was abusive or anything like that or violent or something of that nature. And he seemed like a pretty normal person. And, you know, they say it's always the quiet ones that are crazy. But he seemed pretty normal. And to him, you know, all of a sudden to become a family annihilator is pretty shocking and i don't know disturbing you know you think like people like that you would have like records of domestic violence or something and i don't think he had any of that so that was insane so yes i think this documentary did a great job in kind of condensing the entire case into like an hour and a half or an hour um, I do recommend it. Um, maybe in the future I'll make another episode about it, but I guess it basically covers, it's basically, yeah, it basically covers the entire case. So with that said, thank you for joining me and I will talk to you soon. Phil and I are going to the Venice of the West next week, which is San Antonio. <laughs> and I want to stop by the Haunted Railroad Tracks. I have an episode on that. I think. Go check it out. So in San Antonio, briefly, there is this haunted railroad tracks where they say, legend has it, a school bus was hit by a train and a bunch of children were killed. Probably like in the 20th century. This legend has it that these children, if you go and you put your car in neutral, and I have an episode, go check it out. The children will push the car over the, um, the ghost of the children will push the car over the railroad. And I've actually been there, and your car does move. Like, if you put it on neutral, it does move. I'm not going to spoil everything, so check it out. But I want to go there again, and I want to go with Philip this time. I'm going to try to convince him, because he said he doesn't want to go. He's kind of scared. Um, I told him, you know what, don't be scared. Or nothing's going to happen. It would be a fun story to tell our uh, podcast listeners, and we can record it. We can put it on Twitter, really, because that's what we use. I think I have a Twitter account. It's called Enigma underscore podcast. But if you if you on search on Twitter Enigma Zone podcast, it should pop out. 
Um, you can also follow me on my own Twitter. It's called Modern Tal ETC. If it changes, I will let you know. But yeah. Anyway, thank you for listening. Check out our other episodes, and I will talk to you later.